Hey, my name is Jana. I just got back from a hike, so I'm covered in mud and super sunburned, but all is well because you are listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator, and I am joined this week by Easter trivia champion Dan Marcello. But... <laughs> Thank, by you, wor- thank you. By worship director Scott Reed. <laughs> <laughs> and associate pastor Bill Calvin. Uh, we don't have a special guest this week, but we're still clapping. Uh, Scott, um, would you uh, open us up in prayer, please? Yeah, let's pray. Dear Lord, we just are grateful for another day. Uh, in this uh, season of uncertainty, Lord, we, we view every day as a gift. And uh, Lord, we want to make the most of it. And today it is uh, our are part of our job to to record this podcast, and we, Lord, Lord, gosh, we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be able to make the most of it. Um, Lord, that what we say would uh, connect with people, that it would encourage people, uh, and that it would glorify you. Uh, God, be with us. May we leave feeling refreshed and enlightened um, and having grown for being here, and may that be true for all who listen as well. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take it away, Scott. All right. The Would You Rather Today was submitted very unexpectedly by Rick Palandry, just out of the blue. He texted me. <laughs> I didn't me. know about this. I actually didn't even confirm whether or not this was for the podcast. He just texted it to me. He just said, <laughs> at 12.30 p.m. with no preamble, would you rather always walk around in wet socks or always have Cheetos residue on your fingers? Uh-huh. And then he said, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rick. So I assume that was for the podcast. I mean, he's... Uh... I thought I, I thought I was going to say the answer was obvious, but no, no, I have to stick with it. I want I I, I got to go with wet socks. Yeah, I feel like the Cheetos residue. Can you imagine what your keyboard's going to be like? Can you imagine what your child what your, your, will look like? What your <laughs> there you are on your wedding day. <laughs> well, your wife's wedding your dress wife's will wedding look dress like is just, just covered bright in, orange. Just it's disgusting. Um, I, I mean. So I'm always walking around in wet socks. Does that mean that that my feet are permanently wet socks? Is that what that means? Because that'll give you a trench foot. That's like a health crisis. Yeah, though. that is. That's what I was thinking of the health crisis and the, can the problem. You, uh, can we get a technical reading of the question? <laughs> it says, "Would you rather always walk around in wet socks or always have Cheetos residue in your feet?" You take off the wet socks. What if I you're think, not? Walking? What if you're not walking? Ooh, checkmate, yes. Rick. Because <laughs> then you could go to bed with dry feet. That's the point. See, if I could sleep with dry feet, it'd be worth it. What about wintertime with wet socks? Well, then they never freeze. You wear wet socks, and then it's true. They, they never freeze. Anymore. They're always wet. They wear always more socks. It's over always winter, socks. never Christmas. I choose also, the Cheeto fingers. You know what you could do is you could say you could put on normal socks and then put on wet socks over that. <laughs> but then those dry socks. Or you could put on like try it like a like ziploc bags i think i think we're getting away from the spirit of the question i have to admit there's no bargaining that's rule number four of the podcast no bargaining there's no take backs i already said wet socks i will live with my perpetually pruny feet for the rest of my life but at least my hands are clean i'm taking cheeto dust too because as a runner wet feet are just one of the worst things you can endure Hmm. so for instance in races you always do your best to avoid the puddles because if you run through a puddle and it gets on your socks, then you start forming blisters pretty quickly. Mm. 
So what did you decide, Scott? I think I'm going to go with cheetah. No, I would rather have wet socks. Okay. Um, and I don't know if this is like fair. I feel like the question isn't about you know like developing serious health conditions. I feel like it's about, it's about immediate discomfort. discomfort. Yeah. But it's one of those things where like to me the idea of having Cheetos dust on my hands all the time, getting it all over the like that's just so unpleasant to me that mm-hmm. I don't even need to think about the unpleasantness of the wet socks. It's mm-hmm. like what just it's that one. I mean, not to mention your guitar, the yeah, keyboard, and yeah. the. Just everything. At least wet socks is a personal problem. Cheetos dust, you spread it. <laughs> Might be able to change chords really quick, though, with that Cheetos dust. <laughs> <laughs> it would look really, you're just an a orange mist behind you while you're playing. Like, it's great for making sandwiches, too. You get that Cheeto flavor. <laughs> yeah, you just rub, rub it right in. Uh, gentlemen, last week, we rang the listener mail bell and answered a question from Judy about the recipe for anointing oil, but... Uh, to give our listeners a bit of a look behind the curtain, I sprung her question on you guys with no warning, uh, and I don't think any of us were particularly satisfied with the answers that we gave, and so it's time to bring back an old segment, Once More with Feeling! Once More with Feeling! The part of the show where we take one more crack at giving our listeners the thorough, thought-out answers that they deserve. As a reminder, uh, Judy's question concerns Exodus 30, 22 through 25. Which says, then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant calamus, 12 and a half pounds of acacia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and one gallon of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, the work of a perfumer. These ingredients are still available today and we still anoint for multiple purposes. Why have we reverted to only using olive oil? This isn't a facetious question because it's part of that real big question of why do we not do most everything in the book of Leviticus, for instance? Mm -hmm. How is it that we can say, we're not doing any of this? And the answer is, when it comes to foods, Jesus himself repealed the food laws. But when it comes to morals... Those have never been repealed. Those still stand. So that's why we still adhere to the Ten Commandments. Now, Judy's question is a little different. It's not about food. It's not about morals. But it is about the temple, or in the case of the wilderness, the tabernacle. There is really no more temple worship. God designed it that way. Jesus Christ is now the focal point, not the temple. Hmm. That's why we don't put any energy into sacrifices or in this case an oil so that's what's going on it's it's a really good question because it causes us to say are we just picking and choosing mm-hmm. or do we have a reason even from the bible for ignoring the food laws and the temple laws which we talked about last week with picking and choosing and and the fear of reinterpreting scripture um, based on what's socially expedient mm-hmm. Bill, you said this thing that stuck with a number of the young adults. It's come up a couple times in their discussions since about looking for Jesus in a passage. Um, can we take a second and, and try and, and look for Jesus? Just tell me where you see him um, in this passage. I got something that popped into my mind, which is kind of funny, because when we were talking about this question, I thought, I don't know if I really have a lot to say to, about this, but funny how when I say that, God <laughs> brings something to my mind. I know it's not me; it's the Lord. Um, that not you know, Paul, but the this, Lord. Oil, this oil, <laughs> perfect power and weakness. <laughs> this oil was oftentimes used for cleansing of some kind, hmm. and you know, medical technology was obviously very different—not anywhere near as advanced as it is today. 
And so I think that was relied on to some extent for, you know, cleansing, whether wounds or whatever it might be, or symbolized even the cleansing that was taking place in the inside of someone, like an external symbol of something internal. But now that Christ has come, he is our cleansing. Literally, his blood on the cross is our cleansing. So like Bill said, we don't put energy into the kind of oil it is because we know the one who ordered the creation of the oil, and he's the one working in us and cleansing us. And that reminds me of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it took me like 22 years to actually appreciate. Um, But the book of Hebrews talks so much about the actual mechanics of salvation and the parallels between the high priest with the Israelites, both in the wilderness and then in Jerusalem eventually, and how Jesus as our high priest and also as God himself um, is the one who has the exclusive right to, to cleanse us, to go into the holiest of holies, be with God himself and to, to cleanse us of our sins. Um, so Hebrews is really cool if you want to know about how mm-hmm. salvation actually works um, and why it makes sense when taken in context of the Old Testament, why, why what Jesus means when he says, you know, no one comes to the Father except through me, but, but when John says, you know, all who believe in him will have eternal life. Um, There's also something that I think stands out a lot about, we see in the Old Testament that God has always operated within the physical world in terms of mm. our redemption. It's never been a purely spiritual process. He's involved, you know, he he has these these very specific ingredients for the for the oil, these very specific instructions for building of the tabernacle. The the physical it it matters to him. And it's a part of the process. And when Jesus came, he came in a physical body. And there there was you know there was this need for this this physical element. God as we've seen, because this is how he did it, he wasn't going to, or maybe, or he couldn't, or whatever, just, you know, like, poof, all the sins are gone, but there's this physical sacrifice, and Jesus, you know, Jesus being fully man is essential to who he is. So seeing God really put a lot of care and thought into the physical element of, of the worship in, in ancient Israel, I think also kind of reflects of, of what he was going to do in the person mm-hmm. of Jesus. Yeah. Well, let's get into the topic of the week. Topic of the week this week is brought to you by the Bloomingdale Church drive through Food Pantry. We're inviting families in need to come and participate in our drive through grocery distribution on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from noon to 1 p.m. Volunteers bring bags of food straight to your car. You don't even have to roll down your window. If you, your neighbor, or anyone else you know is in need during the lockdown, we are here to help. The Bloomingdale Church drive through Food Pantry from noon to 1 p.m. at the church's front entrance, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, this week, we are wrapping up our series on pastorship. We've talked about the process of becoming a pastor from both male and female perspectives, as well as the future of, of ordination in the denomination as a whole. Um, But this series started because of an email we got from a listener, uh, and I'd like to end it by finally answering the question that she originally asked. So, listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would-you-rathers, trivia quizzes, and Chick-fil-A coupons to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org, just like Nita did. Nita says, Bill, Dan, and Scott, when did you feel slash know God's calling to be a pastor? Okay, thanks. Bye. Nita. <laughs> um, uh, does anybody want to start off by, by, by telling that story? Well, I grew up in a very devout Christian home. I was taken to church at the age of 10 months. I'm, I'm sorry, 10 days. So as soon as my mom was out of the hospital, bam, I was in church. <laughs> Sunday morning, Sunday night, whew, lots of Wednesdays. But I... 
I loved church, like the children's programs that I was in or the youth programs. The church service was just unbearably boring. That was, oh, it just felt like a month went by and it was really only an hour and 15 minutes. I was bored out of my mind with lots of church. I already knew all the stories and the Sunday school teachers sometimes were just not engaging whatsoever. So they would say to me, you know what, you're going to end up being a pastor. And I would say, no, I'm not. And I, I knew they are wrong. I am not going to be a pastor because that is the lousiest job in the world. The pastor in our church is the most boring person in the whole church. <laughs> He's the poorest person in the whole church. Who wants to be like that? <laughs> My plan was, was going to be a doctor. I was going to be a dentist but it wasn't going to be a pastor. And then Pastor David and I, we went to Beulah Beach camp, and they couldn't get any regular people to be the counselors that year, so the place was swarming with drafted pastors who did the speaking and did the small group stuff. And I watched their lives, and they were so happy. They would have their arms around their wives, maybe kissing them and laughing till tears ran down their faces. And I thought, huh, these people are not boring. They are alive. They are having fun. <laughs> and yeah, they're poor, but that's okay. And so that opened my mind to at least listen to the Lord. And, and then about two months after camp, I had this desire within me to, I want to lead people to Christ. That's what I want to do with my life is lead people to Christ. And that was the beginning of my call, this inward desire. There's three parts to the call. There's the inward desire. Then there must also be some fruit born in your life where you're showing that when you serve the Lord, you get results. And that was happening while I was in college. And then finally, others need to affirm that calling and say, you know what? You belong in the ministry. We want to ordain you. And so that happened as well. So I love being in the ministry. I mean, I just love it. Hmm. Would have been a terrible dentist. Would have been really the worst dentist in the history of the world <laughs> because I don't have fine motor skills. <laughs> so it had been like setting a butcher loose in your mouth. <laughs> so I, I'm glad God called me to the ministry because it's been a wonderful life. Was there ever a point from that time when you realized like, hey, like this is what I'm called to? Was there a point where you ever thought maybe I heard him wrong? No. Mm. There were long stretches where every day I wanted to quit, mm. but it was simply because of stress. But the calling, I was sure of that the whole way through. Mm. When, when you find yourself telling people that you think they could be a pastor, do you have that little version of Bill Calvin in your head saying, like, boring and poor? Really, what I have in mind when I'm speaking to people about that, there's not that many that I see called, but the ones that I do, it's, you're enjoying this so much. Max, you're one of these people. That's why you could ask that question with integrity. <laughs> no, that's why I'm asking. I see how much you love being involved in the life of the church. And I think, you really ought to pay attention. This is one way God confirms the call. He puts this inward joy in your life when you're serving him. So that's what I'm looking for with people. And do they bear fruit? And I see fruit being born through your life. And I think, okay, there's number two. 
So what's left? Well, the affirmation of people. Well, I'm one of those people who does the affirming. So pay attention. You know, um, I'd say that to anybody who's listening to this. If you've got this inward desire to be in the ministry and it has nothing to do with money, for instance, if you say, you know what, I don't care if they pay me starvation wages. I just want to do this. That's, that's a really good sign. Mm. I think some of the kids in our church are making a mistake. They're looking at our church staff and they say, wow, they've got a good life. They, they live in nice homes. They drive nice cars. They get to speak or play music. Man, I'd like to do that. And, and that's really not the call at all. This is, this is an oddity that people working in a church live in nice homes, drive nice cars, it's true. always get paid in full, on time. I've never experienced this before. Mm -hmm. This is really to the credit of Bloomingdale Church and the governing board being really good with money, the sacrificing that took place for many, many, many years to build the foundation that our church is upon today. I'm I'm grateful for it, hmm. but that this is not the norm. Yeah, it's definitely the exception, not the rule. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Dan, when did you know God was calling you to be a pastor? Well, uh, so I'll back up a little bit before then. Okay, I was a bit of a different person than I am now, and I, I, a lot of similarities between Bill's story and mine. I'm sure Bill was very outgoing and bubbly, and the great guy that we know. I was very antisocial hmm. as a younger person, as a you know a early teenager. And so I really didn't enjoy church at all. And being a pastor wasn't something I saw for my life. I agree with what Bill was saying. Like I thought at the time, like church is totally boring. Like if I had to sit through another sermon, it's just, the pastor was a good pastor, um, made like good illustrations and talked about Star Wars in his sermon. And mm. so every once in a while that would pique my interest. But the rest of the time I was like, why am I even here? My mom would, would sing and she would get emotional. I would get really irritated. Like mm. what is there to be like emotional about, about these songs? Like mm. what's the point? Uh, so I was very, not hostile, but like, I didn't really want to go to church, but my parents said, you don't have any choice. Like, as long as you live in our house, we're going to church as a family. Even when your birthday's on Easter. Even when my birthday was on <laughs> Easter. Sorry, mom. So that was, I didn't really ever see this for myself as a younger person. Like, I didn't, I don't really know. I thought I was going to be an astronaut or something until I realized how much math was required. <laughs> and that was off the table. Uh, but yeah, so it was about seventh grade. So what would seventh grade be? Like 11 or 12 years old. And we had our church had a missions conference, like being a CMA church. And Bill, you probably remember these where they'd bring out the flags. People would dress up in you know yes. the costumes from <laughs> other places and parade around the church sanctuary. And and so there would be a missionary speaker. And so I got dragged to this. Yes, I <laughs> probably hated a, that week. <laughs> I had to go to I church every night, five nights a week. And so I just remember sitting in this room, these orange pews, seventies, and people parading around and the mission speaker and. God just really clearly speaking to my heart, saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to serve people and love them in another wow. place. So, wow. And my response was, I'm not doing that. <laughs> 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 so I guess my story is one of a, about more about God's persistence than mm. anything else. Pursuing me, not giving up on me. Um, the, you can't ignore God, I guess. is the It was kind of like a Jonah thing. Like Jonah sure. went, you know, tried to run away from God's call on his life to go preach. And God didn't let him get away with it and send a fish to swallow him up and spit him back out close to where he was supposed to be. And mm. I feel like that's kind of the story of my life. It was definitely a process 
of then after that, you know, because I definitely wasn't in a place of making, you know, the faith that I was taught my own. Um, using God used a painful situation in my life, a relationship that had flopped uh, to bring me kind of into a deeper relationship with him to get me to read the Bible more. I brought mm-hmm. a friend into my life who was a mentor and became like an accountability partner, which if you don't know what that means, it's just someone to talk to about the things that you're struggling with and pray together. And so that really helped me grow in my faith, and he helped me. We read the Bible together, and God really began to show me things. Um, over time, with more maturity, got involved in leadership in the Christian group I was attending at college. So it, God brought up an interest in missions uh, over time. And couldn't How get old enough. were you when that happened? When, yeah. when God said, I want you to be a missionary. 11 or 12. Wow. How old were you when he eventually like ran you down? 19. <laughs> 19. Mm-hmm. What happened? So it was a, a relationship that just didn't work out, and that was really broken up about it, very mm-hmm. emotional. It was in, living away from home, just really sad. Mm-hmm. And God just, I had a Bible sitting on the shelf. I remember one day just picking it up and like, I should read this. Wow. And just couldn't put it down. And eventually, I think that same year, just dedicated my life to, said I'm, there was like this crisis moment of being sanctified or set apart by God. It's just saying like, hey, I've been like living totally wrong. Like, you got to take the wheel here because I'm just running my life in the ground. So God really helped me get out of my shell too, of like yeah. the you know the awkwardness and the social anxiety and antisocial tendencies that I had, and working at a, a store, working at Home Depot, really brought a, a love for sharing the gospel and caring for people. I was just I was really bold, of like just walking up to people, and one lady was like a a Wiccan, and I would talk to her about Jesus, and talk to everyone that wanted to hear about Jesus, didn't mm. participate in the gossip that always goes on at those kind of places, and sure. Just really tried to care about people and love them. And what like transformed you from like not wanting to talk to people? I think talking to people about Jesus is like one of the hardest things you can do. I was, I, it was the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing I that makes sense because there would be people saying stuff like, I was like, well, what do you think about the Bible? I would just bring it up in conversation. And so, well, I don't think that's true. And God just gave me crazy things to say that I look back on, like, man, that was. Like, well, have you read it? Like, <laughs> most people would be like, no, I haven't. This one lady was like, no, I haven't read it. You know, who knows what God did through that. But that definitely wasn't wasn't me, the old me, but God was really working and transforming me and making me who he wanted me to be because hmm. I was very out of character for how I used to be. Yeah. Was there a time after that point where you ever said, you know, maybe... God isn't calling me to pastorship. Maybe he was just calling me to like a closer relationship with him. Not in that sense, no. Um, something that was also a confirmation was meeting Amber, and she also had like the same calling. So, mm. And us kind of doing that together. I think what was hard for me was like my calling, I felt was really linked to being an international worker. Like a, this is what God wanted me to do. And so when he began to make it clear, like this wasn't, like an always forever thing right. that was kind of hard to come to terms with because I had kind of linked it close with my calling, but God helped me realize you're called because you're called because I called you not mm. to a specific place, but to ministry and whether that's overseas, whether that's up here at Bloomingdale church, mm. wherever it is, like I've still called you. Sure. Your calling is somehow in like not valid because you sense this from me. It's still valid. It's still good. It's still true. Walk in it. Have confidence in me. Yeah, the Holy Spirit really does guide you with that. Mm-hmm. I've never felt any inkling at all of being a missionary. Just no 
desire for it, no calling for it. I really think you do need to have a calling to go into missions Mm -hmm. because it's a big deal to take a year out of your life to do nothing but study a language. Mm -hmm. And then you're really not that good at it yet after that first year. You you still have to stumble along. And so you're spending pretty much your whole first term, four years in the mission field, just trying your best. And then you've got these other problems of, Generally, you're going way down socioeconomically. I mean, you you used to live in America where you could stop at any drinking fountain and drink the water and not worry about it, and now you're in a place where you're just surrounded by some unbelievable poverty. You, you have to have a calling for that, to really hang in there and do it. Yeah. We were very surprised when God said, nope, <laughs> not going to be here anymore. Because you went to Mexico expecting to stay there indefinitely. Yep, for the rest of our lives. And had we not felt that from the Lord, that's where we'd be right now. Mm-hmm. And it, God really showed us, it was like, are you having the, Are you kind of fighting against what I want just because that's what you want to say about yourself, that you were there for the, your whole life? Or do, would you rather obey what I want you to do? Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of came down to that of, well, we got to obey what God wants, not sure. for some kind of Am I... ego trip or because I have to do this because of... yeah. This is what I want for my life. Am I am I like grabbing on yes. to like the calling and saying like mm-hmm. this is what the calling says about me mm-hmm. versus like this is what the calling says I should do. This yeah. is you know who it, it it called me. Yeah, so that was a process of coming to terms with for sure. Wow. Now Scott, obviously, you know, when I met you it was your sophomore year of college, you were a philosophy major. Um I was a business major. You were with it was business integrated with philosophy. What is your philosophy? I don't really know Whoa. what that means because I didn't get very far into it. <laughs> I didn't know. That. Do you have a philosophy yeah. of business? Probably. <laughs> Make money. Um, Make money, live better. Walmart. Walmart. <laughs> uh, so, so I got a philosophy joke. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please. What's the difference between a guy with a bachelor's in philosophy and a pepperoni pizza? Pepperoni pizza can feed a family of four. <laughs> hey, my dad has a philosophy degree. God bless me. It's a, it's a, and also, and also two pizza. other degrees. <laughs> yeah. He's a triple major, the maniac. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sorry, philosophy majors. Uh, so Scott. Does he quote Aristotle when he's doing IT? <laughs> he might. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um I was with you when we both went to work for Chick-fil-A. Right. Um, and I was with you for sort of the the process of of realizing that that wasn't for you. We mm-hmm. had a lot of conversations over breakfast about that. Can you tell a little bit of that story of God calling you out of something that you thought you wanted into what he wanted for you? Yeah. So my I I like Bill and and like Dan came from a really devout Christian family. Um, we went to church every week. Uh, my, the church we went to actually was founded or in part founded by my great-grandfather. Um, and my grandfather had grown up sweeping the floors in the basement of the whatever hall they were renting or whatever. Mm-hmm. My mom grew up there. Um, I grew up there. Uh, on my dad's side, my his parents were missionaries with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, so lots of, lots of ministry, both as like a lay person and 
as you know as called into the ministry vocationally uh and i just i didn't really have dan's same experience i was kind of bored in church sometimes i didn't really like to go off to children's church i'd rather stay with my parents but i never was like oh my gosh like this is the worst place in the world i don't want to be here um, I'm sorry if I just misrepresented you, Dan. <laughs> no, I was the first one out the door, and I would be waiting in the car for my parents. Um, but I also just ne- I felt just zero calling to ministry. I never, I never really even thought about it. And I know I've told this story before, but when I uh, spoke at my high school graduation, um, I basically did like a sermonette. I was trying to figure out what I was going to say, and and I was like, well, I'll talk about a passage in the Bible because that seems to make sense because it was a Christian school. After I did that, a couple people, including I think my grandma, came up to me and was like, wow, that was great. Like, have you ever considered being a pastor? And I was like, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not interested in that. That's not really what I want to do. <laughs> uh, the reason I'm telling all the stories is because the way that God called me into where I am now is definitely a, a gradual process. I don't think there was really a clear moment where it was like, okay, now I, I've made a 180 and now I'm going into ministry. When I was in high school, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to study in college, and I was sitting in my room thinking about it. And I had this moment where all these kind of swirling thoughts just sort of locked into place. And I was like, well, I'm good at music. I love music. I should study music. So I went to Wheaton College and I was going to study music. And I sat down in my very first uh, music theory class, which I was in. You have to take like a qualifying exam. And I was in almost by like a fluke because I'm good at studying. Uh, but I didn't really like know the material. Like I learned it, took the test, passed, got in the class, forgot all of it. And the first class was just like terrifying. And I felt so insecure and so ill-equipped and just like like inadequate. I'm like, I, I, I can't do this. And so I left and luckily Chelsea was at, at Wheaton and she kind of brought me through that process, which was really great. So then a year and a half later, give or take, when Max knew me, um, then I had a moment where I was sitting in uh, a senior recital for a, a piano major that I knew and and it was like one of the best attended recitals I've ever been to and there was just this like this thing just turn on inside of me it's like no like I want to do this like seeing him up there seeing these people listen to his music he's so good I want to be in this program and uh, so I started talking to everybody uh, I talked to my parents I talked to an older friend at Wheaton I talked to my voice teacher I talked to my advisor and they were all like yeah like you should do that and I was like well that seems like confirmation so then I started studying music and as I approached the end of my time at Wheaton I was trying to figure out what am I going to do with this and I was considering music ministry I was like that seems like something that I would enjoy and that I could be really good at um and then as I started really you know trying to process through what I was going to do I I landed kind of more thinking about business and I and I started pursuing business as as you know Max and we started working for Chick Fil A and we were going to potentially go down to Atlanta and whatever. And uh, as I was dealing with that, I was like, well, you know, God called me to music, but maybe He was just calling me to study music because I loved it and I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed studying music so much. Maybe that was the point. Uh, and it was sort of kind of like a flip of what I've been thinking earlier, which is kind of funny. And uh, so I went into business. Um, and just quickly realized, like, no, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Like, I'm miserable not having that music in my life. Um, and so I started thinking, okay, well, I got to get out of this, and what am I going to do? Um, it's got to be music. Music has to be involved somehow. So then we went down to – I'm sorry, this is such a long story. I didn't think it was going to be this long. <laughs> then we went down to Atlanta uh, to visit the Chick-fil-A headquarters. It was, like, the very end of my time there. And uh, and every – I don't know if it's, I think it's every Monday, um, they have like a, a devotional time in their cafeteria and it's not mandatory, but the cafeteria was like full uh, for this devotional time. And we were sitting there and I was listening to this guy talking about 
You know, he's like, I think he talked at one point, he's like, I'm talking about his favorite book of the Bible. And like immediately I was like, oh, my favorite book of the Bible is Ephesians. I never really had that thought before. I'd never been really good at being like, oh, this is my favorite book of the Bible. But I was like, oh, my favorite book of the Bible is Ephesians. And then he kept talking and he brought up this book um, that I may have referenced on the podcast before called God Smuggler um, by Brother Andrew, which had just been really transformative in my life as I was walking through this process of leaving Chick-fil-A and just really, and I'd never heard of it before. And then my dad sent it to me and then I read it and I was like, this is amazing. And then this guy randomly brought it up and I was like, wow, like that's so cool that he brought up this book. And there was just something about being in that space surrounded by people who are there, who are like, who you know, Chick-fil-A is like at the top of its field. It's such a high class business, but they're all there at this devotion time because they want to be there. Listening to this guy talking about the word of God, talking about the, you know, brother Andrew who impacted me so much. It was just like, like, no, that's, that's where I'm going. And so then I, you know, I started working here and I remember, uh, this is the end of my story. I remember um, <laughs> sitting in my LNCC interview um, that December and one of, the, one of their issues of concern or however you would want to describe it was that the, the calling hadn't been in my life for very long. Um, but then I went and I talked to my older sister who is now here, which is fascinating. And she was like, you know, this calling isn't brand new in your life. The way I articulated it made it seem that way. He was like, no, she's like, God's been leading you to this point for like five years. Um, and each step of the way, it was like, you're going to study music. No, I'm not. Yes, you are going to study music. You're going to do music. No, no, I'm not. Yes, you are going to do music. And now you're here and it's music ministry. I've been preparing you for this. But remember that time when you said you weren't going to be a pastor? Yeah, you probably wouldn't have listened if I had told you back then. <laughs> but uh, I've led you through this process using something that you love to get you into the position that I want you to be, which is right here as uh, the worship director at Bloomingdale. Mm. Uh, and then I've already told you my story about how he then called me into ordination. So now I'm doing that too. So it's just like yeah. um, the, uh, something that's just really been my mantra is the verse or the line rather from Amazing Grace, which is, you know, it was grace that brought me safe thus far as grace that's going to lead me home. And so just to kind of every step of the way, it's been like, I don't know what the next thing is, but I know what I'm supposed to be doing now and it's this. And so I'm going to do it. And I know that God has a plan for the next part. And that's how I'm here now. And that's why I'm in ordination, and we'll see what happens next. Yeah, it's interesting. With all three of us, our different stories. It's just, it's always a process. Mm -hmm. That God, God is just so patient and so kind, and leading and very, <laughs> very forceful at times too. To be like, no, this is what I want. You're not going to get away from what I want for your life. And that's so reassuring to be able yes. like that. There's the space to say, like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's, you know, he's not just like, fine, go. Bye. See you in seventy exactly. years. But he's, you know, there's there's space to to push back and say like, I don't think I want this. And it's so great that he is <laughs> relentless in that. and he's like, yeah. that's fine. Give it a shot. <laughs> be my guest. Go be a businessman. I'll see you in a few months <laughs> when you realize how unhappy you are. <laughs> or anything, right? I mean, we talked about this during the ordination thing of of people who become pastors when they're not called, right? Saying like, no, I don't want to go and work in an office and be your light there. I want to be a pastor. And and God says, okay, go ahead. Um, and, and and that leads to, to suffering and, and, mm -hmm. and to dysfunction. So I think, I think it's super encouraging that I can't, at least based on, on your testimonies and, and based on my own experience, it doesn't seem like I can um, if I'm if I'm doing it from the from the goodness of my heart, even with a little bit of selfishness, if I'm saying like, no, I don't really want to do that. I don't really want to do what I think you might be calling me to. I'm going to try something else. It doesn't it doesn't end it. It doesn't. It's not him saying, fine, okay, you had your chance. Bye, you're on your own. Um, he says, okay, 
I'm, br- I'm bringing you back. Like, this is what I want. This is what I made you to do. You have a you have a job to do in my kingdom, and things need to happen through you. I need to work through you. I don't have to work through you, mm-hmm. um, but it is important to me that you get to experience me working through you, and the people that will be impacted by it get to experience me working through mm-hmm. you so that I can work through them. Um, I think that's beautiful. Uh, I promised Bill that we get out of here on time, and we're certainly not going to. Let's get into My Colleagues Rock, uh, the part of the show where we brag about the amazing people that we work with. I'll start off and say the IPSAT class on Sunday mornings um, that's led by myself, but but even more so by uh, Allie and, and Lexi. Um, I love being a part of the IPSAT class, um, and the the purpose of the class versus going through the IPSAT on your own is that you have these other people that you can kind of bounce off of, that you can reflect off of, that you can see. I see the difference between you and me, and I see how what you're saying about yourself is true because I know you. And they have just been so awesome in picking up when, you know, I forget to say things or or if I explain something, I'm like, does that make sense, Lexi and Allie? Do you have a better way of saying that? Um, but also just like the ways that they are honest about themselves, I think really opens up. For all of the members of the class, people who have done it before, people who are teaching it, and people who are doing it for the first time, um, really helps bring a level of comfort and a level of honesty to the conversation that's kind of hard to find in in classroom settings sometimes. So I'm really grateful to them. They're, I would not want to teach that class without them. <laughs> I give a shout out to Morgan and Mickey Lang. They're doing really cool stuff. Mm. Uh, Sunday mornings, the kids are hopping on Zoom, doing small groups. And they're just having a ball. I know my daughter's having a ball with it. She's having fun. They're making, doing creative games and scavenger hunts with the kids and really making the most of a situation that for kids' ministry is definitely not ideal mm. to not be like present physically with the kids. And they've had a great response. I mean, there's like probably over 20 kids that come on a Sunday morning to that and they're involved. And they're really just thinking of creative ideas. And I think today Mickey was doing a live stream and doing a chopped smoothie challenge with shrimp hot sauce and gummy bears oh my making a blended smoothie out of those things so like, way to go to them for He's doing I'm not the sure lord's what the, work i don't know what the teaching time of that was so I, I mean, it was at four o'clock while we were here so couldn't watch it but uh, you know that's kudos to them i tip my cap to them for coming up with cool creative ideas and i know sure. morgan's thinking about awana for next year and how that could look and sure so my my respect to them yeah well, I can give a shout out to Dan Marcello, Steve Hellstrom, Ray Anderson, and the whole Alpha team. Tonight's our big night. We're kicking off Alpha by way of Zoom. I can't wait to see it happen. I've got a friend from Minnesota who's coming, and wow. I'm hearing of whom others have invited. I, I think we're going to have a really large group. Hmm. And I'm Praying this all really works. Uh, I'm glad this many people are being exposed to the gospel and being involved in the conversations about Jesus Christ. Mm. But the, I mentioned those three men because they're taking care of technological issues so that we don't end up just having a fiasco on our hands. Yeah. Because if I were doing this, we could have <laughs> a real fiasco, right? <laughs> the kind that would make the nine o'clock news. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll give a shout out to uh, Daniel Ream and Schneider. Um, <laughs> yeah, <whatever. laughs> go, go on. Um, who I think today, and I know Chelsea has been doing this as well, but 
he brought up in our staff meeting just this idea of Zoom fatigue and and talking about how people are just it's just a harder it's harder to do things and i think that's just really important for us to keep in mind for for us as we enlist people and for us as we have expectations of ourselves that like yes we might have time but that doesn't necessarily mean we have like capacity mm-hmm. um because mm-hmm. there is there's so much to process there's so much to adjust to there's so much change there's so much worry so I just thank you, Daniel, for bringing that up in staff meeting. I think that's yeah. such an important reminder yeah. uh, and something to keep kind of on the back burner as we just navigate the season that like, yes, we have time, but also, and they have time, but also things are hard. Mm. Uh, and it's not, it's not like we're all just sitting around at our home, you know, having a vacation. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather, trivia quizzes, and advice, like the advice on how to survive when you have time but you don't have capacity, um, to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. Our closing segment this week is once again Bill's book reviews, um, but it won't be Bill doing a book review. I was originally going to be Scott, but Scott, you brought up God's Smuggler. I've wanted to talk about this book on the show ever since we started, so I'm gonna I'm just going to cut you right off okay. and say God's Smuggler. Uh, I was introduced to it by Scott, more That's or right. less, um, and that guy. Don't you forget it. <laughs> <laughs> when that guy finished talking, I turned to you and I said, when is God going to stop talking to you? Yeah, he did say that. I did. And I was mad. I was like, man, I'm I'm out here working and grinding, and God's not coming down in a golden chariot to tell me that it's time for me to go into music ministry. <laughs> I'm just still praying God show me why I'm here today. Um, and he has, which is beautiful. But God Smuggler is possibly, other than the Bible, the most significant book I've ever read. It is the incredible true story of of a man who takes Bibles behind the Iron Curtain into communist countries uh, where um, they're not just illegal uh, for religious reasons. Um, because they're illegal, they're considered contraband. And so they're incredibly valuable. And so smuggling Bibles in is a crime against the state. It's an economic crime because you're smuggling in tens of thousands of dollars worth of contraband to sell or give away or disrupt the economy. Um, and so he does this and, and, and that's like the main plot thread. But what I love about it is the best articulation of what it is like to have God speak to you, to have God call you to something that I've ever read. Just in the times that I have heard God tell me to do things, to to quit my job, to end a relationship, this book describes that feeling, that experience, that process, and articulates it in a way I've never seen or heard anyone else do before. And I read it and I was like, that's how it happens to me. Um, and it emphasizes this very, very pragmatic, active faith. Uh, this, my eyes are open. I, if I believe that God is real, if I believe that he has a plan for me, if I believe he's acting in my life, that means I can see him. I can see him tomorrow. I can see him today. I can pray and ask him, God, show me, show me yourself today. Show me where you're working in a way that I wouldn't normally have seen it. I would have just, you know, blown it off, passed it by. Um, that is just an incredible encouragement. I'm coming up on the anniversary of reading that book. I'm going to read it again. 
It is fantastic. It's one of my all-time favorites. I'm not kidding. It is the most important book I've ever read besides the Bible. Um, and I want to thank you, Scott, for introducing me to it. You're welcome. <laughs> what You're I so got from smug. <laughs> Scott's uh, testimony of his calling, I thought to myself, this book is about 50 years old. Yeah. So for you mm -hmm. to read this book and then a man speaking to talk about the same book, this is not the same as, say, when The Purpose Driven Life was a mm, sure. great big bestseller and everybody was reading it at the same time. That really shows the fingerprints of God all over your calling. Yeah. Because yeah. this is very rare that a book 50 years old is being read by you and the speaker whom you've never met yeah. at roughly the same time. Yeah. Wow. If if you want to know what it's like to trust God and not in like a pie in the sky way, but in like a practical, like mm -hmm. I'm about to do something and I see God working in the mechanics of that thing I was doing and it was supposed to be impossible, but I see how he made it possible. Um, not just in like a, everything's going to be fine because I trust God way, but in a man, he is active in the world and he is working for good. Um, man, read that book. It is amazing. My mom read me that book 25 years ago. That's still, awesome. <laughs> still just as good today as it was then. <laughs> read that book to my kids. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Um, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Max. Uh, Scott, I think it's your turn. Take me home. <sighs> You've been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois. The heart of the nation. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs>